Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing Tuesday the 14th of April 2020. Very exciting week. The market has ended the week quite firm. The weather has remained dry and all markets have been underlyingly firm as the week's developed. Uh, Still not that much farmer activity. Uh, Plenty of buyers, although the consumers themselves aren't really actively pushing people to trade it. Uh, The futures markets are sneaking up. And today, during the day, uh, there was a rumour about Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia getting together to do their talking. So oil surged and then kind of receded back down again as the day developed. But uh, yeah, all in all, a, a kind of positive week. And I think I think with the weather as dry as it is, I mean, you're cycling home tonight. There was an irrigator out, so and that was on a field of wheat. And I guess he must be washing his uh, fertilizer into it to get it going a bit. So in in this county, it is particularly dry. It's been very warm, and yeah, it needs rain. And I, there, there's supposed to be some coming through the weekend. We shall see. So let's talk about uh, prices. Feed wheat, X farm, spot movement, 155. That's pretty punchy. Uh, maybe 54, depending on where your farm is. Yeah, it's been quite an active week. The, the new crop market probably uh, it traded up to 169 on the North Futures today. So it's probably 62, 63x is about that value, which is great, uh, which pushes the price for sort of May, June back towards 170 again, nearly there or thereabouts so it is um you know we're getting back towards contract highs which is quite exciting and that is with a strong pound this is last time it was here when we were in the middle of uh, the initial lockdown panic the the pound was at 105 106 against the euro and it's today trading at 114 so it's an eight point move which is about um seven percent move so that's quite significant that the wheat market is is up there, and this is you know the wheat market in 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 all corners. Uh, corn is a little bit weak in America. The uh, the ethanol usage thing uh, isn't going away. There is a lot less going to be used. Um, they're messing around with the stocks. The USDA have decided to uh, recheck their figures on what was actually harvested, which is something we harped on about for months and months on end, uh, to admit that in fact some some uh, states didn't actually finish their harvest bit late and a little bit annoying so uh, anyway the market good week for farmers prices have moved up a little bit feed barley spot price 125 26 maybe depending on where you are 27 or 28 there's a there's a boat i think down in the ipswich area that's paying a bit more at the moment the yarmouth one i think is full but the consumers are buying the odd bit so it's it's trading sort of late 20s x farm which is which is quite good it's been um sitting around there for a long period of time and and nothing to write home about but hey it's it's the place where a lot of of um not to be used malting barley will end up so that will 
continue to trade, I hope, um, and we can clear as much as we can out of the country. New crop, malting barley, no one wants to really talk about price. It's not going to be a big premium at the moment. But hey, there's a great big drought going on and it might not be a harvest at all. And, and all of a sudden, the world spins on a sixpence. So feed barley, new crop. I don't really want to put it in store if I can't see a place I can get rid of it. So it's kind of a bit of a poor relation. It's at least a £30 discount to wheat, but it still doesn't mean to say that it's cheap. If people don't need to buy it or there isn't enough consumption for it, a price has to be what we can get rid of it at. So no one's really being brave on that. And farmers actually usually treat that as the bridesmaid crop and don't trade it until they get harvest time, then suddenly realise they have to move it or something. So yeah, an ad- adventurous week. I've, we've had a phenomenal response to the um, podcast of last week, where my where my family, uh, uh, I took the risk of having them on there. Obviously, the the the, the, uh, the thing that everybody related to most of all was the um, the bit where my wife seemed to turn into a crazed woman and and started telling me about all the things she'd done upstairs and my hoovering was not up to it. Anyway, the point is, so many men related to that, that that kind of like long speech without a breath thing. And um, it was, uh, you know, other than laugh my head off, it was was great. I mean, poor Tess, she has to put up with me all the time, I know, and my, my, as I call it, untamed wit. But uh, as I say, the response has been phenomenally good. And one guy came on and said, do you know what? Being at home for four weeks, it reminded me so much of being at my house, he said. And at least now, having been at home for that period of time, just with my wife, at least I now know everything I've done wrong in the last 25 years. This week, we're going to go back to a time when we didn't have to lock down and self-isolate. We're going back to a time when you could just invite people in. And we've talked for about three or four times about this lovely slow gin that we drank a few weeks ago. So we're going to be uh, with David Hoyles for an interview before all of this craziness set in. So um, good times and something to reflect on what it used to be like. So thanks for listening and I hope you have enjoyed your Easter weekend. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Get your website working for you with East Coast Design Studio. Want to know how to increase traffic to your website? East Coast Design Studio are offering a free full site assessment and SEO appraisal to help you improve the performance of your business. Each website report comes with a clear, actionable and prioritised list of recommendations that you can implement in order to reach more customers. Want to get more visitors to your website? Go to eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk and click on the ribbon on the homepage. Oh, and did we mention it's free? And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I have got with me David Hoyles and also I've got with me Joe. So good morning, David. Morning. Morning. Thank you, Joseph. Right, so David, you're not from Norfolk. Talk us through who you are and where you come from. Correct uh, on those accounts, uh, Andrew. So, yeah, I'm from South Lincolnshire. We are farmers actually on the Lincolnshire, Cambridgeshire and Norfolk border. We have a little bit of rented land in Norfolk, but oh, uh, only, just, right, only just the other side of the river. But our main base is, uh, is around uh, Long Sutton, Lutton Marsh and Sutton Bridge. We've been farming around South Lincolnshire as a family for two or three hundred years and moved around uh, a couple of times. And the, our main base in Long Sutton, we've been there for uh, just over 100 years now. So I'm, 
I think about the fourth generation um, on that pad. But I haven't always been a farmer. I was in uh, fresh produce marketing for quite a few years before that and came to farming 15 years ago. So, um, yeah, family farmers, I've, I'm relatively new to it, being given a big opportunity, uh, being able to rent the land from the family and uh, and have a go and make my mistakes or make my gains. Okay, and so did you bring back some of your fresh produce marketing skills to the family business? Hopefully, yes, and, and a bit more. So uh, my I met my wife from my previous job. She was uh, fresh produce marketing as well, yeah, so I brought start, her back yeah. to uh, brought her to Lincolnshire. Does she like the hills? <laughs> we have no hills, no hedges, no trees. Oh. We have very productive, flat, <laughs> rectangular fields, all reclaimed from the sea. But, um, yeah, that, that took a bit of selling to her. Big skies. Big skies, yeah, lovely skies, and a few brown hairs. <laughs> so, yeah, brought her back, and also the marketing skills yes some of those have helped me and also it changed some of our cropping on the farm as well okay and and is your wife actively involved in the farming aspect as well no no we try and keep that very separate so um i try not to involve her at all so i knocked down the farm office that used to be attached to the house and built that in the farm built a new one in the farmyard i wanted a different conversation when i go home i farming i'm not so emotionally tied as probably some of the previous generations i see it as Something that interests me, challenges me, but also it's got to be uh, got to be financially rewarding as well. Cereals, you know, which is our specialist subject, is a break crop. I'm looking at your rotation, and uh, you, you mentioned just before we put the mics on, your your wheat is one in seven. So we we are the like the not so thought of crop, or um, I I wouldn't say that. Um, you might be might be more than one in seven going forward. But at the moment, yeah, on the on the light silts, um, then uh, then we only have uh, the wheat once in the rotation, and it's quite a basic rotation uh, that just follows uh, root cropping around. We do have another combinable crop in that rotation, which is mustard uh, for um, what it was for Coleman's Unilever, but now it's for Condimentum, which is the new processing plant uh, up the road. But yeah, the wheat uh, the wheat side is quite interesting. We didn't grow much. If the price dips down, we'll probably pull out of it again. But um, we quite like it. Adds a bit of uh, organic matter to our uh, our fairly benign silts, and um, and gives us something to do in August. <laughs> Sorry, got me. <laughs> Just the, the the mustard aspect of it. The, the condimentum is the one outside Norwich, the new plant. That's, that's right. Yeah, on the so new. So you've invested into that with the. Yes, so as a, as a family, um, we have a, we are uh, an investor and a shareholder in it. So we've been growing mustard for Coleman's for uh, 120 something years, mm. um, and then myself and two others set up a mustard cooperative back in 2007 called English Mustard Growers, mm-hmm. and then uh, that was supplying Unilever, who owned Coleman's at the old site at Carrow Road, and then more recently uh, had the success of um, being able to do some of the processing for for Unilever and moving I mean, on to the new site at Honningham. It's, it's, a, it's a very important and passionate issue, the uh, mustard, Norwich, Coleman's. The fact that the name is still there and obviously the, the, um, the new site that's been built just outside Norwich means we've, we kind of still own it and we're quite proud of it, even though not all of the mustard is grown in the county, I know, but it's still very much a Norfolk uh, product, we feel. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's synonymous with, uh, with Norfolk, isn't it? So the reason uh, that... The main reason, actually, uh, that we stayed so close to the original site was because of the mint job, because that's uh, a perishable product and has to be processed very soon after harvest. And the mint guys are in on this with uh, with the mustard guys as well, so the, the site is going to be managing those two products for a start, and then there might be future projects uh, going forward. But we could have put the mustard plant anywhere, and it would have been, for uh, mileage terms, it would have been probably 
more sensible have it near Peterborough Way, mm. near the hub of the uh, the, the mustard area. Yeah. But actually, we all quite like to being associated with Norwich yeah, no, and with the mint guys. Yeah. It all worked. Delighted, yeah. And no, I, I'm I'm very pleased that's occurred, even though you can see the thing from millions of miles away, or <laughs> the western side of the city. It's it's good. Okay, so what what is your what is your most profitable crop amongst all that you've got there? Consistently profitable at the moment would be renewable energy. So I class that as a as a crop because um, it's uh, one of our three. Um, sort of business units so we have business units we have crop production we have renewable energy and we have water there are three business units yeah renewable energy is the most consistently outside of that is generally potatoes but the fact that we're um, lifting potatoes today and they're not super early they're uh, they're super late so um we've uh, we've uh, had some uh, failures uh, in the last 12 months and it's been quite expensive so I kind of wanted to get you start with the renewable energy bit before we go back onto the, the potatoes that these are you know, solar panels you put in lots of years ago in the first tranche. So if you started, if you went to do the same thing again today, would it work? I haven't looked at the uh, the costings too much um, recently. Um, solar doesn't really fit in with our energy use profile that well. It's it's a good uh, good little bump around uh, the bottom in terms of producing some energy, but it's only the middle four months of the year that it, it produces some serious amount, and that mm-hmm. doesn't tie in with our our major use of electricity. So um, I think the prices have obviously come down massively. When we did it, a 50 kilowatt system was around 200K. I think a 50 kilowatt system now might be 30, 40K. But we've got some fairly nice feed-in tariffs um, from being early followers into that market. Yeah. Um, would I put up some more? Probably not because that, that energy profile. I'd, I'd like to put up more wind um, where it's more consistent through the year. And then peaks sort of the other four months of the year um, in the winter – more, which is then when we're running cold stores to keep produce uh, through the winter into the spring. Yeah, it's. I mean, wind is in in pretty parts of the world is 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 a less popular thing, isn't it? Yeah. So we've got some um, some figures where we we monitor our energy fairly closely. Um, we look at energy use. Um, we uh, try and be sensible with our energy and not export too much. And and the best way to make the most money out of energy is to use as much as you can so i'm trying to get my production profile to match my use profile and then there's certain times of year where we produce a bit too much and my current project is looking into whether we battery store and voltage optimization just so i don't have to pay someone else 12 or 14 pence a kilowatt Mm. i can use my own which if if i don't use it i export it for only six pence a kilowatt yeah no absolutely i mean all of us have to have have to explore this I mean, my grain stores have not got any solar or wind or any any form of production of energy and that's something i recognize that we're going to have to incorporate we should have should have could have done it before now but we haven't and i think um, sustainability demand from the the carbon sector it, this is going to be part of the sum if we can say look you know, I mean, looking at your 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 charts that you've just turned over nicely for me, I'm looking at the solar aspect, thinking, can I get all my drying done, or can I get some, a load of my input harvest intake and, and outload? May, June, July, August is probably our busiest times of, of running the conveyors. So it, solar might might peak correctly for us in terms of our our energy usage. Yeah, I think um, I think that's absolutely right. Your energy profile will fit in with that very well, and the prices come down. There's a the Cowboys have gone out of the game. It's a lot more reliable. So, yeah, uh, have a have a go. Coming back on the potatoes, because obviously are you smack in the middle of the wrong place for the for the autumn weather we had this year? 
Yeah, we uh, we coloured it. Um, I was feeling quite smug in May. We had a 50 mil downpour that no one else really got. And I thought, all right, we don't have to irrigate quite so much. That's really got us going, set up, um, wet the ridges, easy to then irrigate going forward. Our, our silts are quite uh, hydrophobic, so they don't take the water in that well, or artificial water when you're putting a big chunk of water in not many minutes. And then in June, we got 200 mil of rain, uh, second week of June, and uh, our... 10-year average rainfall is around 650 mil. And it knocked down a lot of ridges, it flooded some areas, we lost some crops, and then our soil sat sad for, for quite a while. Yeah, see, I can't even remember that rain. It didn't happen over here, did it? Not, not, not to that extent. I mean, cereals um, up at North Lincolnshire at that time, um, that was a bit of a, a, yeah. a damp squid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the people who drove up the A17 heading yeah. towards that mm. would have seen some of the mess and some of the flat crops. Unfortunately, that never really recovered for us. We lost areas of potatoes. We lost areas of peas, mustard. Uh, we had some wheat flattened um, and shelled out uh, later on. Um, we had some flooding in the sugar wheat. And, um, yeah, we're still bearing the consequences of, of that now. We're not alone. It, the East no, Midlands is a bit I, of a I'm, mess. I'm conscious you listened to my podcast. You told me that. And uh, I've, I've run on glibly about the fact we've got away with it over here. And I kind of, I, I occasionally give a bit of lip service. I'm really sorry for anyone in another part of the country that's assuming that no one was. But now I found that you actually, someone who got really wet this year was listening. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well, it's the, it's the game we're in, isn't it? So um, uh, we've had some good years and uh, and this one's been particularly particularly rough. Did you get flooded this autumn? We didn't get flooded. We were fortunate to miss any uh, rivers or uh, or drains uh, coming over the top on our area, but the severe amount of rain that we had and continual rain, particularly in October and November, meant that harvest was considerably disrupted. And we've had, well, we've got a thousand tonne of potatoes in the ground that we're lifting at the moment. Right. Uh, we had sugar beet uh, in the ground um, I think in all... Uh, are we they had, usable? Are the spuds usable? Or are they? We're lifting them at the moment. We've got people coming in today to take samples. We've washed some stuff up. We're, we're sending them out. Yes, they're usable. Market price is helping. Mm. I wouldn't be lifting them if uh, if I didn't think there was um, uh, the, the correct thing to mm. do. But I've also got to think about that field for uh, for the yeah, future what, use gonna, as well. What's going to follow it after you know you're lifting them now? Is it going to? Yeah, well, I'm I'm on version six or seven of cropping, and our <laughs> cropping um, stays fairly fluid um, through the spring. So we're other than our winter wheat, we're all spring cropping. We're double cropping some veg and stuff. So um, we'll we'll find something to put in there if and when we get them out. But yeah, the the storms have cost us sort of three hundred, four hundred thousand pounds, mm. um, which after a, our area didn't have a great twenty eighteen either. Um, it's been. Um, an interesting year and a half and I think cash flows are going to be um, particularly challenged um, across the whole farming sector actually not just our little area going into 2021. Yeah it sounds like you copped that that June rain was the biggest damage I guess. Yeah um, over 200 mil against our 10-year average it uh, it stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah you've just again you pointed out your chart you've got uh, lots of lots of technical information which I'm particularly bad at but yes I even I can spot the 200 millimeter <laughs> that really does stick out doesn't it yeah right how, how, how can we cheer ourselves up after that uh oh there's opportunity well we're lifting potatoes that's good we're doing some work on the land the sun's shining we haven't had rain for a couple of days i'm feeling more upbeat than i was a couple of weeks ago okay david what's what what sort of other i mean obviously you've got a quite a range of of different crops and obviously one of them is obviously not your traditional crop i.e you know um renewable energies do you see any crops that you like the look of uh, something you would like to look at in more yeah i think um we're quite fortunate with our soil type that we can 
stick a lot of different seeds and plants in there with with relatively little risk of whether they would grow or not. What we have got to do is look at what uh, what the consumers want, being market led, and then uh, and then grow to meet that demand. So, yeah, we're in and out of products a bit. Uh, if we haven't got capital or machinery tied up, that makes us more flexible. Um, also helps our uh, depreciation bill. But I think um, going forward, yeah, we've got to look what the consumers want. The consumers are changing, so the millennials are coming through. They'll be buy. They'll be the main buyers in five, ten, fifteen years. What do they want? They want integrity of crop, they want traceability, they want low carbon footprint, they want quality, and they want it cheap. So actually, we've got a lot of hoops to jump through. Is that an opportunity or is it a threat? I think it's going to challenge a lot of the farming community. I'm hoping that we'll be a sort of an early follower in those markets, so see what other people are doing, but get in there, invest in machinery. We probably have to specialise a bit more. But I think one thing that where I feel we are slightly ahead of the game, and it's probably driven by Unilever as well, who wanted um, carbon footprint to be neutral by 2020. So they gave us this target over 10 years ago, which is why we started investing in renewable energy, actually, to, uh, to meet their demands. So I think going forward, then consumers are probably going to be looking at how sustainable we are and how uh, sort of eco-friendly and touching on uh, the organic side of production. So if I've got pollen and nectar mixes if i've got woodland areas planted if i've got grass margins on the edge of my fields if i know my carbon footprint for the last few years then i've probably got a better chance of selling my product than someone else now i don't think someone else won't be able to sell it but theirs will be more discounted than mine probably so i might get the level price for doing all that that millennials want and then somebody who hasn't got it might get a 10 pound a ton deduction or it might be online you guys might want might not want to buy my grain because I don't meet the the credentials on sustainability. Whereas someone else who has, they might get a bit. I don't yeah. know. It's it's going to evolve. It's going to change. And what crops we grow, yeah, that the market will dictate that. But we just have to follow it fairly closely. Just just a question. Something you brought up at, at the Norfolk Farming Conference was, and I think someone talked about it as well in the audience. It it was something simple like the ability to actually measure carbon, and 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 this is a fundamental issue that we've got to start really addressing we can't measure it at the moment consistently yeah totally agree and it was brought up north farming conference the nfu have brought up at their conference yeah it needs sorting we need some guidelines we need to know which which models we're going to use because they're all slightly different and we also want to penalize people for what good work they've done in the past so um yeah there's some challenges um there's some challenges going forward but get some either government or industry benchmarks as to what we should be doing and how we do it would be very useful yeah carbon carbon measuring is the is the point and farmers not underselling each other on it I, that's something that's come in the last few weeks is there is a there's a pie that's suddenly there there's a value in carbon yeah don't sell it off we might need it ourselves and um there's carbon trading going on so the first one happened two weeks ago mm. um and you uh, as a reverse auction bid mm. um yeah, and do I want to sell away my assets? No, I don't. It's like my data. I don't want to sell my data. People are offering me bits of kit. Oh, you can do this free of charge and it'll do this and that. Oh, no, I want to pay for it. I want to own my data because then I'll share it with like-minded farmers and then we'll use our data to be smarter ourselves. I don't want it to go into some cloud and someone else get the benefit of it. So collaboration, because another thing that you're, you're strong on is collaboration, isn't it? You're working with a lot of other farmers. Yeah, um, I think my generation is probably more more of that mindset um, but personally wise then yeah I've seen the benefits from my previous uh, previous jobs and roles 
um, where I think working together provides greater efficiency and profitability. So, so an example of that is your plots. You, you actually have a, a group of you that you all invest in plots for your own benefit. So you actually test the varieties that you want to test on your land. That's right. Um, so um, there's, a, there's a group of us um, who are all sort of basis qualified. We call it our basis agronomy group, um, but we cover a lot more than just, uh, just so agronomy. You basis to join. Don't have to be any. Don't have to be any more. But um, that's how the group uh, started. And then um, yeah, we look at uh, we look at varieties. We look at inputs. Uh, so on our wheat plots, um, yeah, we're looking at fungicides and we're looking at nutrition. So um, yeah, this is the in, the independent aspect of that is the the useful bit, I guess. Yeah, it's independent, but it's also regional, so it's relevant to me. So it's on our soil types or my neighbours, or, you know, it's on our soil type, with our climate, in our rotation. So actually, I want to know how these varieties perform for me. I want to know what the trigger point is for nitrogen, because that's going to So that obviously give... wasn't happening, happening previously to its efficient standards. So if you'll pardon the statement, you, you, you got off your butt and a group of you got together and went, right, let's do this. Let's, let's, you know, it must cost you money to do it. Um, I don't think it was not that it wasn't done to sufficient standard. I just think don't think it was done on our soil types. So silts are quite specific soils. Mm-hmm. Um, they perform very differently to the to the land around uh, where cereals events are held or where Morley trials are held or all these other sites. But there's not a lot done on silts. So um, if we want to get better at what we're doing and if we want to be able to compete, we need to learn. So um, so we've sort yeah, of taken it upon you. ourselves. I mean, it, yeah, that's that is that is the true collaboration, is it not? I mean, yeah, and we can all chuck in a few thousand pounds and suddenly that goes a bit further and then we get independent people to come and harvest it and then they're the professionals that make sure it's done right and then they can give us the figures and then we can look at that data and, and act on it. And you haven't got to go and you can go for independent varieties as well, don't you? You haven't got to go with the this is the one we're pushing. You can say, Well, I like the look of that one, I'm gonna go for that because it looks like it ticks the boxes. Yeah, very much so. So on the fungicide work, do we want to, we, we generally look at two varieties, one that's um, genetically bred to be resistant to a lot of the main diseases, another one that's quite dirty. So we'll use the dirty variety that's got low scores um, to look at new fungicide work to see which one helps it the more. Yeah. Um, and then we'll look at the cleaner variety where we actually think about, actually, why are we doing this? We're doing this to make money, to, to be profitable. So how little can we get away with spending yeah, on no, these? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a fine tuning of that issue isn't it so i mean collaboration generally in, in your other crops do you, you do you work amongst co-ops all the way around yes yeah, so i'm um, i'm a big believer in co-ops so i'm a director and chairman of a potato cooperative that uh, that markets sort of 120,000 tons of potatoes so about 10 percent of the uk's uh, pre-packed market um what's I'm the name a, of that neem potatoes um so we've got some members around here as well actually um there's, there's three or yeah three around uh, around this little area um, so that helps us um, in terms of marketing, trying to negotiate bespoke contracts, uh, points of difference, but also give the give the customers something back. So the pack houses, they're under the cosh as well. Consumers just want cheap, reliable food. So we, we try and then be, if they, if they need um, crop on the end of the phone, uh, we've got access to a lot of members' potatoes. We also then um, can give them the field records very quickly just to try and make the customer's life easy but also the main point of it is to give a good return back to uh, back to the farmers are you getting sustainable questions asked yet yeah very much so so on the potato side then each packer or retailer um, has different requests 
um, some want to be leaf marked, some want to know your carbon footprint, some want to know how many hectares or acres uh, you've got of wildflower areas. Uh, most of them want to know about water use and, and your water management plan. So is there a tick box of what's acceptable to everybody? You know, someone says, right, you've got to have 10% wildflowers. You go, I can't do that, mate. Different customers have different requirements. There are a batch of them who are a top end who, uh, who do want um, more of that provenance and sustainability and they generally pay us more money for our crop mm -hmm. so some farmers engage in that and supply it others it doesn't work for them and um, and they they wouldn't have access to those markets so they just do mid-tier or lower tier customers then the other cooperative so on that one that's a very good point actually so the mustard cooperative then we do a combined network and we offer unilever the wildlife corridors and we as a group then we do a project and we uh, we do bee counts uh, we do bird counts we do wildflower counts and then we can give that report back into our customer Unilever to show whether we're increasing the biodiversity on our farms or not. Mm. On, uh, on the other side, then um, I'm involved in a pea co-op as well, a vining pea group. Mm -hmm. um, Which one's that? Uh, that's Holbish Marsh Co-op. Okay. Um, so we uh, come from sort of Sandringham down round the wash up to about sort of the whole week spalding oh, area. Well, you're next door to Alsham Growers, which goes across to Sandringham from here. Yeah, and we um, and we work with Elsham. Uh, we're looking at uh, IT programs, scanning crops, uh, looking at uh, yield prediction models, so that when we go into the freezing plants, we're more efficient, and where they can, if if one or both of us has got um, fields coming up that aren't yielding so much, then uh, then we can um, get them to do a a, a freezer uh, turn down and a, and a clean down. Whereas if we have got peaks of supply coming forward, um, then they know not to shut the shut the plant down and try and be more efficient and reduce food waste and stuff like that so yeah your original question Andrew yeah involved in many co-ops um, I believe that gives me a better return for my money also I'm not I'm not scared of sharing my results um, so um, I'm never the best but hopefully I'm never the worst um, and uh, league tables are, are fairly motivating around our area so if you're, if you're underperforming you either get out or or you okay. or you you try and get better because everyone sees your finances and everyone sees your returns so um, um yeah, it's fairly ruthless, but um, your, your sugar beet cooperative—that's <laughs> a joke. The, the monopoly, <laughs> the monopoly. Yeah, um, I didn't say that. We, um, we don't, we don't mind sugar beet. Um, whether sugar beet's going to be around in the future for um, for soil structure and stuff like that, I don't know. Um, we we have a, a large rotation in this part of the world. I mean, you really have got the—is it the best soil in the country, in your opinion? Um, around our little area, yeah, I think the sort of uh, the whole beach, Long Sutton, Boston area has got some fairly kind silts there. So if, if you really, I mean, let's just, just make, make a few people weep or jealous or something. You know, if you had perfect conditions, what would you expect your wheat to yield, your first wheat after seven years of other or six years of other crops? I'd expect it to yield 12 tonne a hectare. That's what we budget on. And I'd be disappointed on... Uh, if we didn't have some crops that were doing two or three tons a hectare more than that, um, that is not us being clever and no, no, smart. No, 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 That's no, just I, down to very, the soil it's type. Very good of you to say that out loud because a lot of people wouldn't. You know, we have got we've got some some purple land in this county that that comes very close to that every single year. Unfortunately, it's washing into the sea at the moment. It's one of those tactical, uh, long-term uh, structural plans the government hasn't thought about. <laughs> which I always run on about, but no, it's, uh, that's great. I mean, that's a phenomenal yield, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why um, wheat's, uh, wheat's back on our cropping. So um, when, the, when the price was uh, 80, 100 quid a tonne, um, 
even if we are those points getting 10, 11 ton a hectare, then um, then it didn't really stack up for us. But uh, yeah, when you're getting when you're budgeting on 12, and uh, you can hopefully achieve uh, more than that, then um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a nice crop. And and what we're not we're not just sitting on our laurels and growing feed with that. We're also then trying to maximise our market. So it's a long rotation, as you mentioned, Andrew. But so why don't we exploit that? So within we're doing most of our wheat is for seed wheat. Yeah, so absolutely. we're doing pre basic six, six year break. I think the seed seed people love you i'd absolutely be the first first place to come well hopefully we get on with them it works for us um it's in and out we don't have a lot of storage um they're they're fairly keen to get it uh, and um and get it processed and cleaned up um and um yeah and then we get a a premium for for growing the seed crop so yeah it works for both parties hopefully now, as you listen to the podcast, you know what happens next, don't you? Yeah, I'm, uh, this, is a, this is the main reason I came, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have a little tour of Norfolk, I understand. Joe's going to take you around and look at, uh, uh, you know, yeah, grain, and, and you're going to see your old mate Hoodie for, um, for lunch, I think, aren't you? So Joe's going to have a really tough day today. But I've got to mention, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I can easily be bought. You very kindly bought some slow gin along, which is personally made in your own... Uh, you know, kitchen, but um, I've got this fabulous little uh, X uh, gin bottle, but it's uh, slow gin, which which you say we should save to the winter. I don't think it's going to make it that far. <laughs> um, we've got a beer to drink today, but we will we will definitely do a taste test of this at some point on a miserable day in the future. But uh, thank you very much. We have a little photo of that on the on the website for for you. But yeah, no, I'm very very grateful, and uh, yeah, good good move. Anyone who's coming on in the future, just bring a bottle of something with you <laughs> so thanks for that no well thank you uh, thank you for having me it's uh, it's always good to come out and uh, meet new people and have a look around businesses and uh, i yeah. like the way you've put the slow gin and your your logo and then just above it is a by appointment <laughs> that's that's the old gin bottle recycling again yeah yeah but you know a little uh, little subtle little subtle keeping of the of the uh, emblem there right so um where's the bottle opener joe you're in charge oh, yeah yeah Hope you're better than our man Webby. Webby's still off on paternity, by the way. So uh, more information about um, children will come when he finally returns to work. Modern day snowflake that he is. is. Yeah, go on. So we are looking at uh, this is a well, it's Moongazer Bouchard. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, this is a dark, mild, has a subtle black currant aroma, full-bodied with rich, fruity, sweet finish. Bouchard, yeah. I'll go with your Norfolk pronunciation. <laughs> Looks quite dark. It is dark, isn't it? Yeah. It's a mild, um, which none of us really drink anymore. Do we drink milds anymore? It tastes... Uh, no, not overly. It tastes a bit like um, if you haven't quite washed out a glass of Guinness and put a bit of a bitter in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've I got, got a story about, about mild, actually. Um when I first ever went to a pub, my parents never went out to the pub. So when I was 14, I biked to Akel Disco. And um, when we were like, halfway through the end, we thought, someone said, let's, let's go to the pub. And I thought, oh, blimey. So we went down the road to the Hermitage in Akel. This is a long time ago. And uh, the ripe old age of 14, I, I had no idea what you did. You just don't know. So I went in, and this boy called Ian Thompson who was renowned for never buying around anyway, uh, I said, um, what do you want to drink? Because I had no idea what to ask for. And uh, he said, uh, I'll have a pint of mild. And I went, I thought, is he taking the mickey out of me? What does that mean? Is, someone gonna, is, is the landlord going to bite my head off and call me an idiot and get out of his pub? So I had to go up and I, and I went up to the little, little uh, 
hatch that you that the youth used to go and sit in, and old Percy Nichols, who was about 110 at the time, went, uh, yes, boy. And I said, um, can I have two pints of mild, please? He went, pardon? I thought, oh, no, I'm going to die. This is it. I've just got it all wrong. Two pints of mild, please. And he looked me up and down and thought, yeah, he's 12, and poured me this brown liquid. I was so grateful. I gave him... 60p and that was two pints <laughs> and uh, and drank the disgusting stuff but you know gratefully I, I it was my my first ever drink in a pub was mild how about that i don't think i've had it since and and these days what that would be uh a shot of something <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't know um well look it's that bad if it was cool you know like a nice warm summer's day and you had a cold one of those yeah but it'd be better with a bitter wouldn't it i think mild's a mistake i think mild was a was a kind of 70s, 60s, coming on from stout, not quite stout, not quite bitter. I think I think they just wanted that heavy taste. I think it had to have a bit of um, bit of go in it, you know, some sort of not just a plain taste. It had, you know, mild does have a bit of a stronger depth to it. Makes you think oh, your belly's going to get big, doesn't it? What are you? Are you going to be a big? Um, I'm not a big mild fan. Uh, I think it's sort of lost its identity a bit, hasn't it? It's, I, yeah. I like a, a cold lager in the summer, but I'm, I'm generally a bitter man. But a cold lager in the summer, if it's a nice warm evening, or if I come back, just want to crack a can open quickly. I always um, have that phrase. I'm a bitter man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in many levels. I'm so bitter. <laughs> I was a Newcastle University guy, and uh, there was uh, Theakstons and Newquay Brown up there. And, uh, and uh, if you wanted to survive the night out, then you, you had to drink those. <laughs> Good grief. Anyway, well, with that happy thought, David, I appreciate your long journey from the Fens, and I hope you like the undulating um, landscape of Norfolk. And uh, I hope you enjoy your tour with Joe and, 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 and Nick. So thanks yeah, for, well, thanks thank, thank you for having me. No, it's very good. Thanks. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 